Welcome to Take Note. This is a podcast about keeping a notebook and paying attention. I am Adam. I am here with my friend Ted. Ted, what did you do today? Well, let's see. I watched some baseball. I finished a puzzle. There was a puzzle uh, that sat on our kitchen table for, I'm going to say, three months. We all, and everyone in the family had grown to hate it. <laughs> looking at it, hated the idea of completing it. It was about 40% done. I said, today's the day. I'm getting this thing off the books. I'm, I'm closing the deal on it. So I spent an inordinate amount of time and ignored all manner of requests for my time. What was the image on the puzzle? It was a mo- like a motel sign. Uh, so some kind of cool retro signage. Just your typical motel sign puzzle. Motel sign puzzle, you know, scrub brush in the background, you know, flat, muted sky. Just not not inspiring, especially when it's you've been looking at 40% of that image for a long, long time. <laughs> Were you satisfied uh, when you finished it? I was very satisfied, except for the one missing piece. Uh, couldn't find it. Hmm. Didn't, didn't, didn't have it. Well, empty gaping hole. Hey, congratulations on almost finishing a puzzle. On this <laughs> show, uh, we like to start by asking each other what we've written in our notebooks. So, Ted, what do you got? All right, so I am uh, I'm back in my office at work, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I'm the only one in there, which is kind of really <laughs> nice. Um, but you know, I, I've I've entered the world of awkward uh, rules and and following rules that make no sense and wondering what to do when certain people enter various spaces. And I wrote down, uh, it's nice that every now and then the door to my office clicks a little bit as though someone is about to scan and enter, uh, causing me to scramble for my mask and start thinking through these rules and regulations for no reason. Just a little click. It's like a little... You know, almost like the wind, even though there's no wind. Yeah. I just, oh, I, what, I, okay, no, just a click. Never mind. About 20 years ago, I worked at the University of Florida in the physics building. And just imagining that building being completely empty, sitting in my little weird office, occasionally <laughs> hearing a click, I would think I was about to be murdered. <laughs> I have the benefit of of good lighting and it's it's a it's a contemporary office building so spookiness levels are low which is rare on a college campus. It's good. What do you got, Adam? All right. These are words and phrases from a chapter of The BFG by Roald Dahl, which I am reading with my 6-year-old right now. So, list of words and phrases from one chapter. Snozcumbers. Fizzwinkle. Frobscottle, jumbly, delumptious, flushbunking, scrotty, duckhound, quacky, frog squinkers, buzzwangles, <laughs> catastrophes, disastrophe, 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 bug whiffles, swish whiffling, filthsome, whiz popper. <laughs> Human beings and plummy. <laughs> does your does your kid laugh at all these? Um, he 
I was concerned that he wasn't realizing they were all made up at first, but he loves them, actually. <laughs> he notices he loves them. Oh, a yeah. whiz popper. So you probably know this, but uh, Frobscottle is sure. uh, giant soda. It's a fizzy drink that giants drink. It's green. It's in a bottle that's about six feet long, and the Again, fizz goes down this, instead of up. Yeah. I mean, duh, but carry on. Right. Yeah. And because the fizz goes down instead of up, um, you don't burp it out. You fart it out. But you don't fart <laughs> it if you're a giant and you make whiz poppers. Um, ah. So, yeah, he loves it. He <laughs> loves it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? That's great. Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, this is my note. In Houston, we have entered uh, the season... When the notebook in the back pocket exposes which inks are and are not water resistant, <laughs> it's the sweating season. Uh, and you will you will take a notebook out of your back pocket after a walk across campus, for example, and uh, you'll open some pages, and and half of it will be almost disappeared, and the other half will be bright and and robust, and that's when you'll say to yourself, okay. Now I know which of these is waterproof. I think the, in my past experience, orange inks perform very poorly in this particular stress test. Okay, is there a color that performs well? I mean, I, I not I, I think the rest of them, it's a crapshoot. But uh, there's something about orange. It's almost always, you're done, <laughs> you're done when it comes to orange. Which I have recently pulled out in one of my orange pens. It's a, it's a, uh, a Pigma Secura Micron orange. I can't remember if this one. I'm sure I'll find out pretty soon whether or not it's uh, water resistant. So what do you got? The Pigma Secura Micron, are you, um, is that a fountain pen? No, this is, these are the, uh, the drawing kind of oh, pen right. markers yep. that come in all kinds of colors yep. and people... I, like I, I don't actually like them that much, ironically. Huh. I like the idea of them more than I actually like them. From a pure writing experience standpoint, they they leave a bit to be desired. I, I My sense is they're better if you're kind of very deliberately, you know, drawing something and, and making a making a strong mark. But when I'm just scribbling, they, they kind of fall a little short for me. Always have. That's the preferred pen for the bullet journal community i think and i remember liking them um i don't think any of mine are inked i'm using something similar i think i mentioned last week the pilot um i had the v5 high tech i think i, I don't have it in front of me right now and i went looking for more because i was enjoying it so much I had a black one and I, I don't think they call it the high tech or the high point tech anymore now it is the pilot precise v5 and I got a pack mm. of them in blue because the one that I had was black. I like it a lot. It's I, I think it's kind of similar to the that Pigma Micron. Hmm. Yeah, I I I think it's closest to like the Sharpie pen, and I I don't like those either. I there's something about these tips. I don't know what you would call them if they're kind of a felt tip, but some other sort of space age technology. But they just they don't do it for me. Yeah. Um, I'm more. I, I. I'm more of the. It, it's somewhere. It's somewhere far afield for me for the for the writing experience. But I like their size and form factor, and I always want to enjoy them, so I keep pulling them out. 
because I've just got a couple that rattle around. Um, but then I, I move on always. And then they still, I ne they never run out of ink. So they're always sitting there waiting for me to uh, give them another try. The ridiculous thing about this show is the fact that you do not like the Pigma Micron pens. That we've had this discussion. I will buy some to see <laughs> to see if I agree within the next week. <laughs> to see how little you like them. What do you got, Adam? All right. I wrote this. I saw a woman walking a cute small dog. She was holding her phone in one hand and having a conversation with the speaker on. The cute dog kept looking at me across the street. I imagined that the dog was annoyed having to listen to both sides of this phone conversation. I made an I feel you face to the dog. <laughs> then I thought to myself that this anecdote was worthless without one clarifying detail. So I willed the woman to look up and across the street at me. What kind of dog is that? I shouted. Oh, she muted her phone. I apologized and... My face was supposed to pretend that I hadn't noticed she was on the phone. It's a Cavalier <laughs> King Charles Spaniel, she said. Oh, Very cute, I said. We've been staring at each other. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, about a week later, I saw her with the dog again. The dog's staring right at me again. I, we got a real bond, me and this uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. I, I think that dog, I think you should rescue that dog. <laughs> I love it. What do you got? Um, okay, this uh, this was last Sunday. Um, I was... This was Mother's Day, you might recall. Mm -hmm. So I was going to skip out a little early while uh, the mother of the house uh, slept in. Um, went outside. Thought to myself, oh, the paper's not here yet. That's funny. This was maybe 8 o'clock. This was not unreasonably early, uh, but I, I noted it. So got in the car, revved up the engine, um, started to pull out of the driveway, and uh, there was a car coming, so I, I got you know, right to the edge of the driveway and stopped and waited, and uh, car drives by, Foom! <laughs> it was the newspaper delivery person. They threw the paper and hit the back of my car with the newspaper. <laughs> I was just like, what in the... All right. I just went on my way and took care of my business. Just a little, uh, a little delightful little vignette. I mean, I would assume that they're always aiming for everyone's car based on that anecdote. That, well, right. I mean, obviously, I think the only difference was that they assumed there would be nobody in the car. <laughs> They're probably thinking, "Ooh, got another one, <laughs> direct hit." You gotta, you gotta make it interesting for yourself. Well, I mean that's fair, but you'll get a lot more leniency from me if it's four a.m. instead of eight a.m. Right? You know, the like I want to hear that thump from the the depths of my REM sleep, not when I'm, uh, not when I'm already getting up and at them and starting my day. So get out the early newspaper, folks, if you're going to pelt my car. And also thank you for doing that on a Sunday. Right. I appreciate it. Well, I love that you're what he got about the Sunday newspaper because we were going to talk about something I read in the newsletter. It's about the Sunday paper. And then we were going to talk a little bit about newspapers and magazines. So I subscribe to a newsletter by Matt Thomas in which 
he reads the Sunday New York Times every week, and he shares 10 quotes from 10 different stories. And last week, um, maybe, maybe his newspaper didn't show up on time, because he wrote, I have decided after 700 consecutive weeks, 700 consecutive weeks, wow. to stop doing my weekly Sunday New York Times digest. Now, is this a employee of the New York nope, Times? No, this is a crazy person, just like you and me. <laughs> well, I was thinking to myself, Adam, how do you get this job? I want, I want this to be your job. Maybe you should take over the mantle. Well, but hold on, because <laughs> so uh, he he's did them on his blog, then he did them on the newsletter, and he says um, one of the reasons he stopped is the digest ate up a lot of his time. Sometimes an entire Sunday, sometimes an entire Sunday, and most of his Monday, and he really would try to read the whole paper. But the reason I'm sharing it is because the next thing he writes about is the order in which he reads the paper, which I found fascinating. Always starting with the business section, then the Sunday review, then arts and leisure, then Sunday styles, then travel, or more recently at home, then the front page, then any special sections, then the book review, finally the magazine, and then when they have it, the tea magazine. I settled on this order after discovering that if I started with the front page, I'd get too perturbed by its inventory of horrors to read the rest of the paper. <laughs> Starting with the business <laughs> section, I'd make make note of articles I found interesting on a piece of scratch paper. Um, and then he goes through the rest of his kind of uh, uh, process for writing the newsletter. Yeah. Um, so I found this really interesting. I think it's yeah. a great idea to skip that front page. I've made that mistake many times. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really the the front section is, um, I don't know. It's that's the important section. That's where you can learn a lot about the world, really, in a in a tight amount of space. But um, but yeah, that is maybe a mistake to do that. So I wondered, Why? Yeah. what do you have a method? I mean, it, it's it's nothing that I've ever articulated, but as I sit and think about it, I I so I rarely read the whole thing, even in the course of a week. Yeah, I've been wondering but, where your weekly digest is. Yeah, takes up almost none of my Sunday and absolutely none of my Monday. <laughs> um, I I I start with the front page and the the main section because I think I I have this mentality that if I get through some of that, then I have sort of justified the addition for the week and that whatever else I get to beyond that is is kind of bonus time. So I think I I I look at it as sort of the most like you said learning about the world um <clears throat> tracking some of the you know big stories of the day that presumably you'll, you know, you'll read about the next week in continuation. And, and, uh, you know, the, I try to, I try to make it to the international section. Cause those are usually, those are usually the more interesting stories, honestly, yeah. you know, the, the international stories that float to the top. Uh, it, I guess the horrors don't bother me terribly, uh, any more so than You're just jaded. normally, but well, I guess I'm jaded, but I I also want to feel like I'm a grown up who's read that section and then can bounce to the more frivolous stuff uh, after. Right. That. I guess reading the frivolous stuff first is a great plan if you know you are absolutely going to get to that front section. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a luxury. Right. 
Well, it's the opposite of a luxury because it sounds like he's basically a, a slave to this process. <laughs> but yes, yes, if you know, because I, I will know. Like the Sunday style section, I just think is is, uh, usually pretty unappealing. Yep. So the idea of reading that before, um, some of the other sections is completely uh, antithetical. I have where do you? Start? I have very strong feelings against the Sunday style section too. Um, I typically, I think I typically start with the front page or the book review, which he normally puts till the end. Yeah. Um, yep. Then I, I do like the, the, the at-home section recently, but I, I think it's interesting that he starts with the business section, and I, I think it's a good choice, an interesting choice, because... I have maybe a built-in bias against the business section, but the New York Times business <laughs> section is not like your, it's not the no. Wall Street Journal, or it's not another business section. No. They're finding interesting profiles that often um, barely have anything to do with what we would first think of as business. So the cover, yeah. uh, to, we're recording on Sunday, the, the lead story on the Sunday business section today is about how spies and... Um, journalists, how the work of spies and journalists overlap and how journalists are becoming spies and working for Fusion GPS. Interestingly enough, I think Monocle has done a story or two on this recently. So, um, but, you know, that is not what you'd expect from the business section. Yeah, uh, that's that's not going to keep my hardware store from going under. That's right, that's right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's the Sunday styles, I... I, I you know, dubious connection to business seems rock solid compared to what they consider styles or somehow even noteworthy. It's just the weirdest conglomeration of uh, mediocre stories <laughs> that uh, I, I know you and I are not alone in feeling this way, but it's it's the only section well, that makes me angry. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if... I heard this so long ago that I don't know if I heard it or if I made it up, but it seems like the a trend story for the New York tile for the New York style section like two instances makes a trend sometimes <laughs> these like ridiculous things that uh, don't seem to be true and don't aren't <laughs> actual trends unlike unlike sporks which I think was our what our buddy wanted to do a trend story on at Northwestern yep. during our five week mm -hmm. program there. I don't remember what my trend story was supposed to be. Do you remember yours? No, I, mine was was probably fit for the Sunday style section. All right. Well, do we have anything else? Is there anything you want to add about the this order of reading a well, newspaper, or should I tangent yeah, on? I would. I mean, I love the magazine, and I've I've pushed myself to start with the magazine a lot more so. Um, after I dug into a few issues and really realized that I was missing some fantastic writing. Um, so I've come to view the magazine as hard, hardly an extra, but more like an integral part of getting the edition, just because the writing yeah. is so good. Not that the I writing agree. in the rest of the paper is bad, per se, but that magazine style uh, done with their high, high level of rigor, um, it really shines for me. And I always, you know, I, I, I don't read tons of magazines, but I've, I've come to this idea that, you know, 
a magazine should be interesting. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the biggest story in the world, but it should be something interesting where you walk away saying, I would not have encountered that somewhere else. And I think um, New York Times Magazine really does that and, and presents it in a way that, that um, you know, gives you a bit a sense of wonder. I think I probably mentioned it, but I think about the story they did on the last two white rhinoceroses in the world. And it just, it still stays with me. And that was a New York Times Magazine story. And um, so saving that till the end is foolhardy. I mean, I can't imagine reading the Sunday styles uh, all the way through before hitting <laughs> right. hitting uh, John Hodgman's tiny advice column in the, right. the magazine. And the There's, T Magazine too, I've talked about in the past is also, or has been fantastic at times. That's the one that I keep around with the intent to read much longer than the others. Um, yeah, but yeah. I often don't get a chance Same. to. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Yeah. They look really nice though. So. They do. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of a couple funny things I do with magazines. I know I mentioned once one before, maybe both of them before, but related to the New York Times Sunday magazine and really I'll do this with almost any magazine. Um, on Saturday night, if I have not read the Sunday magazine from the weekend before, I will I will try to cram it at night. And you know, it I make it sound like it's punishment, but it's never <laughs> punishment. It's all it's a great way to do things. Um on Sunday nights I'll often try to read The New Yorker if I haven't read it before the next one comes out. Because of course once the next one comes out you're not gonna go back to it. Never. And because I love these things, uh I'm very happy to cram the magazine um the other thing that i do which is you know i when i said it on this magazine i think you rightly made fun of me it was a ridiculous thing to say but i continue to do it and i think it's true often but not always is i do try to read some magazines backwards the economist um sometimes the new york times magazine i don't know what it is just some magazines maybe have things that are a little more bite-sized or a little more esoteric yeah. or maybe aren't the heavy piece the same way that uh, yeah. matt thomas doesn't read the front page always right mm -hmm. um the new york times magazine is a little different because it has those smaller pieces at the beginning um but i do that and sometimes i'm doing it and i find these gems and we are going to talk about one of the most delightful things that i've read in a very long time that i shared with you and i was excited that you read it because it was it's two pages but it's long and dense uh, article is called The Rules of the Confidence Game, and it's by Anna Della Subin, and it is a book review in the New York Review of Books of The Book of Charlatans, which is a 13th century, it begins with a 13th century um, anecdote. I'm not sure if the book was originally published in the 13th century or not, uh, and I'm as I'm scanning it, I'm not seeing it, but it is basically a... a book about yeah the uh, yes the third about 13th century cons and and the writers that love them and it begins with a sheik with a glowing head or halo that we learn had woven 40 glowworms into his hair and then it moves on to a prophet who was so great that fish would pay him homage by jumping from the water to kiss him and it turns out it was because he had rubbed a potion of basil, 
Persian gum resin, jasmine oil, and feces over himself. Um, the book. How do you was, get to how do you get to Persian gum resin? It's like the feces wasn't doing the trick. The honey <laughs> wasn't quite. It's like no, you know no, what's no. missing here. Persian gum resin. No, 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 no. What happens is. You you know that the feces works, but you're gonna try the basil, the Persian gum resin, and the jasmine oil first. When that doesn't work, or or instead you're just not ready to rub the feces on yourself, and so you're going to make it a mix of other things. Just so, so that you can tell yourself it's it's not just not merely yeah. poop alone. Yeah. So uh, this book was written because the Amir. Um, hired an ex-criminal named Al-Jabari to write the book. And the the review goes into just tons of these little anecdotes, like how um, these stories about shooting someone by, or, or killing someone or injuring someone just by pointing at them and how all these little cons are. But it also weaves in this whole thing about Al-Jabari writing the book um, as though he, um, you know, he was able to find some people who could help him get this information as though he didn't know it all right and and kind of hiding his criminality so i say that he's an ex-criminal but um that's not a fact i don't think that's you know that's suggested by the reviewer um but not known for sure i this is a this is a case in which the you know you're you're often reminding me that a reading book reviews is enjoyable even if you have no intention whatsoever of reading the book and I think this is a shining example uh, am I ever going to read this 600 page uh, book from the 13th century that probably gets a little dry after a little while no but am I going to enjoy the sentence uh, the secret was in the flame resistant properties of frog fat yes I, yes. I am going to enjoy that line yeah. yep yep Oh, yeah, I love that one, too. That almost made it into my little summary. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think, to me, the, the the article itself almost reads like a con or a trick. And the story of the, um, it, you know, the, um, the, the author and what he knew or did not know yeah. was fascinating. And I, it, I think I told you that it, to me, it read like a Borges story, yes. right? Like, um, this I always had this idea of, and you know, and I think it wasn't my idea. I think there are Borges stories that are um, reviews of books that don't exist. Um, and this, I mean, this is not what this is. I've looked and I found that the book does exist, but I wouldn't have been surprised right. if uh, if it was, and I wouldn't have been disappointed if it yep. was. That's how well written it was. And in the last section, you know, the last few hundred words of the review. Uh, they kind of make a political argument, too, about um, the environments in which cons and hoaxes exist. They, um, they, the author, um, Anna Subin, finds a, you know, finds a way to bring this into our time and make it relevant. And, uh, you know, you don't have to actually, nobody has to agree with that argument. But it was the thing that um, reminded me the most of what when the New York Review of Books is trying to get you to subscribe to the New York Review of Books, the, the quotes you read about how amazing it is and how every page is brimming with ideas and intellectual arguments. And I, I, I like the magazine, um, but it's, it's dense and I don't often go through it. And I often feel like 
I see those quotes and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I need to find those articles too. Like I, <laughs> otherwise it's just really good book reviews and good essays and interesting, but like, you know, that, that it's this, these, um, arguments about our time that are weaved into them. And this, this review has that too. It really was one of like the very best things I've read in a long time. I agree. And it's great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's the rules of the confidence game by Anna Della Subin. Yeah, I think it's probably behind a paywall, but maybe not. Well, if you, uh, I'm going to give out Adam's uh, cell phone number in a minute. And if you give him a call, he will read it aloud to you in a soothing <laughs> nighttime voice. What is it? Uh, 50th edition that Field Notes is about to celebrate uh, the publication of? Is this what I hear? Yes, it'll be announced uh, just before or just after this episode is released. It's their 50th quarterly edition, so I guess they've been doing this for 12 and a half years. Um, Yikes. Which, yeah. And that's um, really something. Yeah, Cover absolutely. that story for your business section, New York Times. That's right. That's right. Maybe they have. Maybe they have. Well, I think, um, you know, we were, we were reflecting in light of this, uh, this milestone, um, sort of wondering to ourselves what do we really feel like this where does this staying power come from how have they really kept the uh kept the flame alive i think you know this this only recently i found myself explaining you know field notes or trying to explain field notes and it i'll be honest it when i describe what it is and the appeal of it it does not glow it does not shine I end up thinking, boy, these words that I'm saying out loud are falling short of uh, of what I want them to be. How how do you describe uh, the appeal of a little paper stapled together uh, in a way that that uh, befits the the effort? But uh, I guess that's what you're going to try to do right now, Adam, as we reflect. Yeah, I, I've I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking, as I often do, why does this notebook in particular, this brand of notebook really, um, you know, uh, means something to me and how is it different from all these other uh, brands of notebooks? And I, you know, I think first, right, it, there is just something about the fact that I've been carrying them around in my pocket, the same brand, the same shape for 10 years, right? So part of why I like it so much is because it's the thing that I'm used to. Um, I think there's two other things, and one I know we've touched on quite a bit, like after the time that you and I went to Field Notes together, is just the experimentation with each, each edition mm-hmm. and the reaching to try something new. Uh, that's, you know, that's something that really keeps us interested in them and impressed by them. And even if the edition isn't really, if there's an edition that isn't something we really, we really want, we still kind of appreciate that um, effort's the wrong word. But the um, you know, trying yeah. something new every time mm-hmm. in the experimentation. And, you know, the other thing I think is there is something that seems almost anachronistic about the Big Futura logo, which yeah. is very modern, although it's, you know, 1920s. It's, um, and, and then the notebook um, the, which is meant to reflect like the sort of, or meant to, is inspired by the sort of things that, uh, you know, American farmers might carry around, which is also, you know, is something that would have existed when the Futura font, uh, was created. But I think there's something 
that seems anachronistic about it and that is not anachronistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is maybe why the design of this particular notebook really speaks to, I don't know, it really yeah. resonates. Oh, that's yeah. well said. I mean, I think what you're describing is the sort of creative mystery of what they do. You know, the 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 enduring sort of aura. You know, you think about like uh, Walter Benjamin, the art critic, that if you're an art historian, you end up hearing about him every other day for uh, your entire academic career. But it's worth, if you've not heard of him, it's spelled like Benjamin, but Benjamin, you should go and read his, um, his uh, essays. I haven't read many of them, but in uh, one of his more famous ones, he talks about the, the aura of a piece of art, like the, the certain something that's there that reads between all of the lines that you're seeing or that you're, you know, that you're understanding, you know, this was a, per- a person applied paint to a piece of fabric. And I think, I think what you're getting at is, is gets at the aura that they have created, um, which you can't easily explain because I mean, and, and when I try to do it, it, it falls flat because I mean, what they, what they're good at and what is so enjoyable about them is that they're good at cultivating that aura. And I think it starts with their creative excitement. I mean, they, they work on things that they get excited about and that's naturally compelling and magnetic and, and easy to get on board with and enjoy and then look forward to what next thing they're going to be excited about. But I think what, you know, to, to your point and what, what, I think what I love about them too is the consistency of the product. You know, it's like I think about other, um, you know, what like uh, it's almost like my least favorite genre of stationery are notebooks with no author. You know, there's nobody, nobody has created the notebook. It's just, uh, you know, sitting on the shelf of Target and says, you know, be inspired on the front. And you open it and you can't figure out who made it or where it's from or what the... It's just sitting there kind of floating in the ether. Um, but what Field Notes is as a product is a context and a, 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 a vision and an author. And you, you know that it's coming from somewhere and that you are going to do something with this thing that someone created with an, an intentional... Uh, effort on their part and that you become part of a continuum instead of just sort of happening upon something that's, you know, just there to kind of be seen. And I don't know, it's that consistency of what they do in that continuum that they're saying, yes, yeah, is a field notes. We're not going to like, uh, I don't know. We're not going to change it so much each time around that we're trying to find new audiences who don't understand what we're doing here. We're going to double, triple, and quadruple down on those people who already buy into what we do and who we want to keep engaging as people and not just sort of a weird amorphous customer base. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we've mentioned before, maybe maybe it was just something that I put out there, was that they, Field Notes doesn't really ever tell you uh, what the notebook is for. Like I said, if they introduce a new edition like most recently that heavy duty one they're not really telling you how you should use it um but you know one of the things that occurred to me and what you were just saying is that um they do part of this well 
Part of the continuum made me think about the back of the book, which um, lists who makes their paper and where the mm -hmm. um, book was printed and mm -hmm. who invented the staples. But then right above that, in most editions, are the practical applications uh, in which there's like a list of 30 things you might want to do with them. And they're not telling, you know, what they're doing is, uh, there, there's a sort of sense to me of they're not telling you what to do with them, but then they're sort of telling you that they're for everything. Um, which, I don't know, again, that's sort of... Maybe I've just invented that in my head, or maybe there's a little bit of like a um, that kind of creative discrepancy, or the same thing where. But it's also a joke. The idea that they're giving you a list of things to do with it, right? It, it's it's comical. Um, shady yep. and there are often jokes put in there, which is part of yeah the financial as well. Quote planning unquote. Now I'm reading from just my good old butcher paper letters back home. Uh, Let's, let's see. Escape routes. Shady transactions. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you that they're, they've, they're both. Got, they're, in they're, the one I'm looking at, it says dates of dates. I like that. Um, yeah. It's, they're, it, they're poking holes in the idea that uh, one should have a very uh, regimented list of things that you would do with uh, some paper stapled together. And I yeah. always, you know, Draplin is the other X factor here. Who he himself has has a just a just an, a a zest for creativity and for adding color and boldness to your life that uh, that he, you know he with having sort of him in the mix as this mad scientist on the edge of it. I mean, it's just it's just something fun to be a part of, you know, in the sense that a customer can be a part of something, but. Uh, and it's all, you know, the, even the consistency of their jokey practical applications. Like, there's an author. There's, there are people who've, who've made these. And, and that's what you're kind of being a part of. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm excited for this new edition. I've been using up, I've been filling up the notebook quicker than I have uh, before in the last few months. And I've, like, decided, as I've mentioned, that I think it's the line notebooks, which you've always preferred, are really actually lead to me writing more in mine. The last couple of editions I've used are versions of the craft one. So there's an Abercrombie and Fitch one that is a, a craft notebook with black ink all over the cover, right? It's mostly black and the craft is the negative space. And then the Tournament of Books, which is a craft notebook with a uh, red rooster on it. And in my mind, I've been uh, you know using these more because they're... Uh, they're the more simpler editions and they're these lined editions. But frankly, if the 50th edition comes out and it's like something like the coastal with a weird graph and like a shiny cover, I'm going to be just as enamored with that one. And I'm going <laughs> to completely, uh, you know, change my point of view and I'm going to need that one. And that'll be the one that I'm, uh, scribbling in furiously in the months to come. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've, you know, even the intrigue of what it might be and what direction I, they might head like this, I, this thing I've I've have hooked in my head the the idea of there being an author. It's almost uh, like that's kind of a universal for the like things I enjoy these days, or the, you know, even enjoying the work of an author, <laughs> um, who's writing books. Uh, you have the privilege of of seeing how their creative mind works and where they've gone next, and that's. 
that's what field notes is in a way is you're, you're, you're following along with what this band of, um, of producers, uh, is going to produce. And that's like the spice of, a that's the spice of life. Do you think if it had had an author or the sense of an author, you would have finished that motel puzzle a little more quickly? Let's do this again next week, Adam. What do you say? Sounds great, Ted. Check us out on the web at takenote.space. It does not sound like a website, but I will swear on the producer of that puzzle that it is. Uh, we are also on Twitter, twitter.com slash takenotepod. Take care.